Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masechah Psachim, daf Tzadi Dalad, page 94. So, our daf today embarks on real, a real journey into the heavens. Uh, we have a whole discussion about astronomy in the world that was the Talmud, right? Meaning it's not talking about space from what we know today. Um, and... Therein lies the rub, right? The idea that what we're talking about from the Talmud and what we talk about today, especially when it comes to areas of science, as opposed to things that we talk about, think about as cultural norms, when we're talking about science, it's always a challenge to pay attention to the the details of the Gemara. And it's, you know, a curiosity. What did they think and what did they understand? But how do we reconcile that with our own knowledge of the way the sky worked? Uh, So, for example... Dana, we were talking before about how it seems that Chazal did not think that the stars were fixed in their place, right? That they were regularly moving. And we know, you know, we we live long after Copernicus. We live long after Galilee. We have an understanding that the cent- that the center of our solar system is indeed the so- the sun, and that was not the case. Meaning, the sun did not change. The understanding of it did, and Chazal did not yet have this understanding. So now what do we do with that? So you're Dana, I'll right. pose it to you. Right. So but- look, again, I think these are always the interesting pages of the DAP. And there's certainly a school of thought that is going to say that the science of the Gemara is correct. Um, I'm personally very comfortable to sit in a space and say, look, they understood science to the ability of what tools were around them to understand science. Um, one thing that I did think was interesting here, though, is that um, this one section here, and I'm going to read something a little bit that appears earlier later, but I'm just putting it in the context of this discussion, is they even record sort of a machloket or a dispute about astronomy between specifically Jewish and non-Jewish, you know, chachamim, I guess, right? So I want to point out one interesting piece here when we're talking about this issue of science, which is that even within that world, right, the world of the chachamim, even their science was not set, right? Different groups of people had different understandings. And so there's a really interesting uh, b'risa that's recorded here, right? Tanu Rabbanan, right? So we learn in a b'risa, Chachmei Yisrael Omrim, right? The Jewish Chachamim say, Galgal Kabul Mazalot Chosrin. The, literally, this would translate it as like the wheel of the, you know, the zodiac is fixed in this, you know, in the sphere and the constellations are what's moving. Right, the Chachmei Umot Ha'ulam and the non-Jewish Chachamim, and it's interesting to me that they call them Chachamim, right? They're sort of respecting them in a certain way, Omrim. Galgal Choser that the wheel of the zodiac revolves and the constellations um, are actually fixed in it. And Amar Rabbi, Rabbi says that, you know, there's uh, an answer sort of to their work, like he's going to give a proof to the view of the Jewish Chachamim. Right. And his proof is, is that we never find the constellation of um, Aglaz, right, is cow. So it's, it's Terrace, right, in the south. And Scorpio is never in the north. Um, and so, you know, we don't have enough time to go through all the science and explain all of it. But essentially, I just was, I thought this was such an interesting thing that happens here that, first of all, the Gemara sort of acknowledges that the Jewish Chachamim and the Chachamim of Umot Ha'olam have two very different views here. 
Um, my understanding is what the machlokas is over is that the non-Jewish chachamim, right, understand that the sun and the stars are sort of, they're fixed in, I guess it would sort of be like different spheres, basically. Um, and that the stars rotate one way, right? And the sun is rotating uh, a different way. Um, and whereas like the Jewish sages basically hold that the stars aren't fixed in their sphere, right? Um, but they are fixed to the same, I guess, like there's a whole distinction of like a celestial sphere. It's too much to go into right now. And I'm sure many of you who are using different types of Gemaras, there will be a lot of explanation here. But again, just to see that there's sort of this acknowledgement that there was like a Jewish way of understanding the science and a non-Jewish way. And then Rabbi Yehuda and Nasi comes to sort of give a proof to say, no, this is how we know that the Jewish view is correct, um, was fascinating to me. Um, yeah, I do think it's fascinating. I feel like what, to me, what I keep being struck by, and this is, you know, because I've got a lover of space living in my house, you know, at the age of almost seven. Um, I feel like the the way the zodiac is in the world, in the sky, and the way there's the constellations, and what we know about it today in terms of what's fixed and what's moving, meaning, right, we assume that the Earth is moving, and we've got different seasons, and the Southern Hemisphere and the Northern Hemisphere, and you see different stars in the Southern Hemisphere, and so on. I feel like I don't have, as as you said, I think, right, I don't have a problem saying that they understood as much as they were able to understand in that day, and they we're so attuned to the details here in ways that I think most people today are not in part because of, I'm going to blame electricity, right? You, how many people spend so much time looking at the night sky where we're not using it unless you're a sailor, right? We're not using it for navigation and we don't usually need the stars or the moon for that matter for the light of the night sky. So we go out to, to admire the celestial beings as they're called, right? The celestial bodies for for the beauty of them, for the fact of the science. So I feel like I really would love to be able, and I feel like really I'd like someone else to teach it to me because I think it will be, I don't know enough of the astronomy, the, the modern day science to put it together with this, but I would really love this year that puts this together and then we have a teal to the night sky. Um, I don't know when I'm going to experience that, but I, I think it's worthy, right? A lot of people I think want to forgive me, chuck the parts of the Gemara that don't line up with modern science. And I think here that part of what I appreciate is how much detail they, you know, they observe and the details they get right, even if the, even if the whys, even if the behind the things, behind those details is, is inaccurate. So For I can sure, appreciate I think it. the fact that they deduced all um, of this, you know, even the how big the earth is, how big the rakia is, just from what was available to them, you know, I, we just watched in my household, uh, you know, the rover landing on Mars, but just to see like what science they understood right. with their limited tools is just amazing. Um, I'm going to move on to two, one section yes. here and then, Anne, I know you're going to read one section here. Um, there's a nice little bit also about Nebuchadnezzar here, Toshma. And this is a way that they're going to, which is a funny sentence here, Dana. There's right, a nice bit Sorry. about Nebuchadnezzar. There should never okay. be anything nice about Nebuchadnezzar. So this is broadly in the context <laughs> of refuting uh, Rava's, um, Rava's view that basically the sun can only travel 6,000 um, parsos, right? And that's like sort of the compass that involves the whole world. So it says, Rabbi, Rabbi ben Zake, Ma Bat kol 
what did the, so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zagai says the following, what did this bat call, right, say to the wicked man who is Nebuchadnezzar? Now, first of all, what's the role of a bat call, which we've talked about before, but the idea is that essentially after prophecy ends, after Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, who are the last three prophets of Treasar, um, and, you know, we sort of say prophecy ends with them, you know, we sort of have this thing called the bat call, and this appears all over the, the pages of the Gemara, um, as sort of like this heavenly leftover prophetic voice uh, that sort of still remains in the world, even though prophecy has really ended. And so what did this bat call say? Right. The Sha'ashamar, when he said, right, the Russia, right, I will ascend over the tops of the clouds. I will liken myself most high. Right. So this is a Pasuk in Yishayahu and Perigadal, Pasukadalad. And that essentially Nebuchadnezzar is sort of boasting and saying he can get to over the tops of the clouds. He can get to most high. Yatsta Bakol Amras, right? So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai says this Bakol came out and said, Russia ben Russia, right? Wicked man, son of a wicked man. Ben Beno shall Nimrod ha Russia. You were the grandson of the wicked Nimrod, right? Now, what Nimrod are we talking about? He wasn't literally the grandson, but we know that Nimrod is also sort of the beginning of Babel. And here we're talking about the Migdal Babel, right? The, the Tower of Babel that we is recorded in Bereshit uh, Perak Yud, right? Shehim read at Kol right? Who led the whole world in a rebellion against Hashem, right? But it's saying against Eli, against me, that's Hashem speaking, or the Bakul speaking, uh, during his reign, right? When he was king. How many years are there of a man? Shivim Shana, right? There are 70 years. And if they're, they make it to old age or they're strong, they get to 80 years. Right? Right? And th- th- this is literally a Pasuk they quote from Tehillim, um, from Perik uh, Tzadi Pasuk Good, chapter 90, verse 10. So from earth until the firmament would take 500 years. Right. So I love this. It's almost like it's talking, you know, the way we talk about space travel and light years. Right. So in other words, they know that this they're explaining here that walking from the earth to the firmament would take 500 years. And the thickness of the firmament would take 500 years also to walk across. And between the, the lower rakia and like the next rakia is another 500 years. And in between each of the rakias, because later on there's a Gemara and Chagiga that talks about that there's basically seven rakias, right? Um, so between, you know, all of that, right, there's, right, how would you, so in other words, the idea is how would a person, how could Nebuchadnezzar claim that he would be able to get to most up high? You could never walk that distance in the amount of years that the average human lives, right? That's sort of what it's saying. Um, and so therefore, ach al Shaul turad al bor, right? But rather, right, the, the Shaul, the netherworld, right, will be brought down to the depths of a pit. And they quote the next Pasuk in Yishayahu that follows the one after him, right, which is it's Yishayahu Perikital Pasuk Tetvav. So in other words, all of this is what it's basically proving is is that the journey, the distance from Earth to the firmament is this sort of 500 years, right? Because we're saying that a person can travel 10 parsots in a day, 
And so this really comes out to, right, 1,825,000 parsos in a, a, all together. So this contradicts Rabbah, who says that the whole sun only goes 6,000. Um, again, how they're choosing to get science, like here it's not by observation, here it's by a bakol. <laughs> but I think, but I, but I think this teaches us what the role of the bakol is. The bakol is really prophecy and it's respected that way. This isn't just like some cute little story that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is teaching us. It's that there's a real tradition that there was prophecy involved here that was really explaining this. So again, we're seeing this tremendous combination here of observation to learn science, but also in a belief of like, what can you learn from prophecy in the Batkal that also teaches us science? And ultimately it concludes to Yufta. It totally refutes Rava's view. I think also there's a recognition that, you know, no matter how much human beings understand about the great beyond here, right, in space, which, again, they understood differently from we under- what we understand, but our understanding is also, you know, encounters the limits of our knowledge of, of space and outer space and so on. Uh, I think that that's the very presence of a backhole attests to that, right? People, human beings are not even with our great tools today, we're not getting everything there is to get. But if we, oh, but we had a bat goal, then we might get that much further. I want to um, look at a small passage on a bet, which again, it's not that it's science. It's more the beauty of what it represents. There are four paths that the sun travels in over the four seasons of the year. Nisan, Iyar, Vesivan, in the months of Iyar and Sivan, I'm sorry, Nisan, Iyar, and Sivan, the beginning of the of the Hebrew calendar year, beginning with Nisan, those first three months, the sun traverses the mountains in order to melt the snows, right? Whatever snows are on the mountains that have gathered or collected over the winter, now they're going to melt. Tamuz av ve'alul, during Tammuz Avenel, it travels over where people are living, areas of settlement, meaning of dwelling, in order to ripen the fruit. When in the seasons of the fall, which this also speaks to the Babylonian experience, where the when the rivers run high. Um, then the sun will traverse the sky over the areas of the rivers and the seas to make sure that they are not flowing too strongly, that they can flow more gently. They're a little bit dried up. Not dried up, not really dried up, but just just in order that they should be a little bit more gentle for the human experience. Right, that's where we are now, in Adar. In those months from te- from the winter to the spring, David Shvat Nadar travels over the desert in order not to dry out the seeds that were planted where everybody lives and which are going to begin to sprout in this time. Meaning the sun kind of ab- takes a path that absents itself from where people really live in order to allow the plants to grow. And I feel like this is poetry. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's I don't think this is an attempt at science at all. Right. Everybody knows. I think then also they knew that the sun was going to be in the sky wherever they were living 
you know, no matter what, uh, at the right season, whatever. But what happens then is this um, recognition and appreciation of what the sun accomplishes for the human well, experience. I, I think it's also that, you know, they were very attuned to agriculture and seasons and, you know, in a way that, I mean, again, we may have some people who are learning with us who are, I'm certainly not. So um, I think that's also, they're, they're really commenting on sort of the function of the sun and how that changes month to month and season to season. Indeed, yes. I just, I think that there's something that's very, um, you know, there's a lot of caution against worshiping the sun, right? So the recognition that there is, that it's as if the sun is doing the people a favor, to make sure that the agriculture works the way it's supposed to, to make sure that the rivers run the way they're supposed to and the snows melt and the plants grow. I find it just, there's something very, a very beautiful commentary on, on, I don't know, like the, on this, our appreciation of the seasons, which are not exactly the same seasons that I grew up with in, you know, New England, but, but they are a recognition of, of what, what the sun does for the people in right. From the it's interesting experience. that, as you said, there's sort of like an acknowledgement of the power of the sun with no qualification about what God's role is in that. Like they were comfortable putting that out there. Yeah, that is a right. good observation. I don't know, that is almost in a way that you're like kind of shocked by Chazal, because just as you said, many people do worship the sun. Um, and it's, you know, I don't know, you would have thought like, but Hashem sets it up that way or something like that. And they seem very comfortable sort of not putting it in in that way. Well, I'll just note that right before this passage, there's a bright in the name of Rabbi Natan, where basically he says, you know, in the summer, the sun travels high and it's hot and the winter it's traveling low and it's colder. Right. So the, I, I feel like Chazal were willing to accept that the natural world has its own science. You know, it has its, way of functioning I, I you know there's plenty of times where there's discussion of how god sets nature in motion you know without without god you wouldn't have nature either but to then to talk about how nature works i think that that's within yeah what i we agree with you and i think we on. see that all over this staff for me this is a daf i want to spend more time with but as we know the daf does not wait well that's our daf discussion for the day rank us review us on all major podcasts thank you to robin michelle farber for hosting us on the hodgman website let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.